Blog Talk Radio. A civil unrest like this, there are three types of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices, and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to fuck shit up, and that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why. And that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then... Let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is they're going to get is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting, that's their only opportunity to get it. Why are people that poor? Why are people that broke? Why are people that that food insecure, that clothing insecure, that they feel like they're only shot, that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. We must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the south and the textile work in the north. Do you understand that? Now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you, and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money, I didn't allow you to have anything on the board, I didn't allow for you to have anything, and then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly, and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa, that was Rosewood, There are pla- those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. They burned your games. They burned your cars. They burned your monopoly money. How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There's a social contract that we all have, that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa 
and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. All power to the people. All power to the people. We wanted to start on that note to kind of just get into the passion that's been going on within the country here recently. And we're going to build on that. On the last show, we kind of got into some of the aspects of this. And so we ended the last show, which I'm referring to last week's show, the chairman's show, and talking about the issue. What is the issue? It's the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. My national chairman is Brother Yanga Nkrumah, National Director of Operations, Sister Southern Khadijah. I'm the National Chief of Staff, Brother War. We got the Panther 48, Brother E, and Brother Sy. And today, family, we got the chairman on the line. We got Sister Seven on the line. We got Brother E. We got Syke, myself. We're going to get into a roundtable discussion going over what are the real issues. So, like always, I want to dive right into the, the cycle and discuss oppressive conditions and the condition. That's what we want to talk about as it applies to this. So, what are that? What is that that we go into? And I want to open the discussion by saying, Black people continue to spiral back and forth on these situations as a result of what happened, you know, when a person is beat beat up by the cops, when someone dies unjustifiably, when you're dealing with oppression day day, day in and day out. We continue to spiral back and forth as a result of this. So what is it that's going to constitute actual change needed to address being oppressed? Therefore, we talk about the oppressive conditions and the conditioning that our people are going through, which causes the spiral to go back and forth. But in doing so, let me deal with, like most of the times, I always want to emphasize the People's Black Panther Party line and referring back to the local objectives intro, which is defining what is in the best interest of black people, developing what is in the best interest of black people, and defending that infrastructure. Today, with that opening, let's go ahead and start off with Brother E going in on what is the issue. Go ahead, Brother E. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I got you now, buddy. Go ahead. So, yeah, I want to uh, start off my portion um, with a quote from Dr. Uh, Brother Neely Fuller from a book called The uh, United System Code System. Ah, I'm going to have to go grab my book. My apologies. Um, but Neely Fuller was essentially a, a mentor, a psychologist of uh, Sister Frances Cress Wilson, who wrote the, uh, the ISIS papers, um, both of them are psychologists and did a lot of work in addressing the psychological issues and needs of the black community um, as a whole. Um, and to quote Neely Fuller, 
If you do not understand white supremacy, what it is and how it works, everything else you understand will only confuse you. Um, and again, that's from the United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept. Really long title, very good book, um, and it breaks down what, from my perspective, is the issue. Um, as we go forward, we begin to see that all of these things from police brutality to um, our ineffectual uh, voting to, um, to, to, to school issues, to everything that we deal with and address, that those are simply symptoms of what the actual issue is, which is the fact that racism, white supremacy, affects everything that you do, from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, as well as the time that you are asleep. Everything that you do is affected by the system in which you live. And the system in which we live is a system of racism. And the only known form of functional racism in the known universe is white supremacy. Understand that race, racism is not white people calling you nigger. Racism is not a lack of African-centered studies in school. Racism is not the police beating you down. These are symptoms. These are effects. These are the things that you see that are telling you. These are the symbols that are telling you that there's something of substance behind them. And beginning to build an understanding of what it is and how it works, let's get a quick recap of some historical information, particularly coming from Francis Presswelsing and Dr. Neely Fuller. The European has a history of fear. When we were chilling in Africa with lands that provided everything we need, the continent of Africa does not need anybody else on the face of the planet for anything. It is completely self-contained, needs nothing, evidence of which is every other nation on the earth is coming to Africa to pull the resources out of it, one of the effects of racism, white supremacy. So while we're doing our thing in Africa with our, 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 our melanated skin so that the ample sun doesn't burn us too deeply, so that as the sun shines down and the waters bubble up and provide plenty of food and, and resources for us to develop and build nations and give us time to think about God and, and all of the things that, that surround us, while we have essentially a land of paradise, which keeps getting referenced back scientifically, and religiously, they keep pointing back to paradise as being located in Africa. That's where we come from. That speaks to our, uh, our genetic development, the things that went into affecting our true mentality. Europeans, on the other hand, living in these caves, coming out of these caves where they had to fight every day for every morsel because there was nowhere to grow food, really because there were all types of beasts and animals that they had to compete with for every morsel, because they saw themselves as having to constantly be on the defensive just to survive, just to breathe day in and day out. This was their existence every day. Imagine having to be on your guard every day, but we don't have to imagine it. We know it. There's not been a time in the 400 years that we've been here that we've not had to look over our shoulders for either the police the supervisor, the overseer, the mob, the clan, 
slave master, slave catcher. Somebody's always been trying to get us, so we've always been on our guard. So this is how they grew. This is how what they came out of, having their guard up. Fear was their overwhelming emotion as they came into being. And that, that sense, that fear, that they constantly had something to be afraid of was, was reaffirmed when they left those caves and they started to navigate the world. Everywhere they went, they saw people of color. They saw yellow people and brown people and red people and black people. And they began to develop this overwhelming subconscious sense that genetic annihilation is a possibility because black plus black equals black. White plus white equals white. And that's the only combination that gets you white. So black plus white still equals black. And it never goes away. So coming from that sense of fear, everything that they do, everything that they build, everything that they develop and put together is affected by that sense. They have to be on guard. Is it any wonder that they're constantly trying to get us to be afraid of something? It's because they're constantly afraid of something. So that's the historical backdrop as we move into their civilizations, in particular this one. I've heard it said many times that this system is broken. I told to you that the system is not broken from a historical standpoint. This system is doing exactly what this system was designed to do. As the sister said in the intro, what we have to understand is that we were brought here for one reason and one reason alone, to make them money, to make them a civilization, to be the workhorse in the, in the mechanisms of their society, not citizens, but the horse, the cow, the chattel. It was built on our back. Corrupt. As it is, corrupt simply means a willingness to act dishonestly in return for personal gain. And as we'll see, the system, the U.S. government as it is specifically, was designed by men willing to act dishonestly in return for personal gain. How do we know this? Ask yourself. How many of the founding, so-called founding fathers owned black people? How many of them owned Africans? How many of them raped African women? Your grandmama, great, 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 great grandmama, raped by Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Patrick Henry, the man who wrote All Men Are Created Equal, Thomas Jefferson, and yes, your favorite and mine, George Washington, owned black folks, raped black women, saw you as property. So when Thomas Jefferson wrote that all men were created equal, he wasn't talking about you. He had no intention of including you in that process. He had no, none of them had any intention, desire, or will to make this a government that included African people because you weren't people. Harriet Tubman, in their minds, was not freeing people. She was stealing property. We were property to them. And those are facts. Twelve owned African people at some point in their life. Eight of those 12 did it while they were president. This is the social contract that was created. This is the social contract that we've been subjected to for the past 400 years. This is the social contract that is currently, finally, under attack. This is the Willie Lynch mindset that was put into play, dividing our people. There's not a social issue that you can identify that we deal with. 
that is not somehow related to the Willie Lynch syndrome, whether he was a person or not, because there's still a lot of debate amongst uh, 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 historians. But the ideas that he posed is, is what is significant. Dividing these slaves, quote-unquote, that's what they call them, dividing them along age lines, under skin color, you know, uh, uh, the brown paper bag test, you know, how uh, especially our children are taught to dog out the darker-skinned sisters and brothers in the community and make fun of them. Dividing them along, along uh, light-skinned, dark-skinned color lines, dividing them between male and female, especially male and female. In the book or in the speech, Willie Lynch assures the folks that he's talking to that dividing these Africans in this way would give control over them for at least the next 300 years, and it's panned out. This is the social contract, the three-fifth clause, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the United States Constitution to this day, to this day, says that you are three-fifths human beings. How in the hell can you continue to call yourself an American, African-American, black American, any kind of American, when your constitution that you claim says you're not even human? How do we do that gymnastics? How do we make that flip? How do we justify in our minds? saying I'm still down with these people even though they defend a constitution that calls us not human. And if you want to talk about amendments, let's talk about the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment says that slavery in this country is abolished. No more slavery. It's gone. Except as punishment for a crime. A crime, you say. A crime. If you're a prisoner of this state, of this state, of this country, whatever, it is constitutionally okay for you to be worked as a slave. That's what it says. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that there are multi-million-dollar prisons in this country making mad money? The people who run the phones in these prison systems making money. When an inmate calls the cops and gets some type of support from his family. They're making money. The food that they eat being catered, somebody's making money. And it didn't start where it didn't end with the 13th Amendment. Because we can go through and see the various acts, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793, 1850, even the Emancipation Proclamation. Dig it. The Emancipation Proclamation says, and I'm paraphrasing, they didn't talk like this back then. Emancipation Proclamation says that for all the states that leave the Union, y'all have to free your slaves. All the uh, slave states that stay in the Union, y'all can let your slaves hang around. Let, let them stay where they at. Don't worry about it. This is what it says. How much sense does it, does it make for you to quit your job Two weeks later, your boss calls up and starts telling you you need to do such and such and this and that. It makes no sense. You left the organization. It was a political move. It had nothing to do with freeing us. Emancipation Proclamation didn't free anybody. Proclamation given to another country. By this time, these were states that had left. So he gave an order to another country. Again, the mental gymnastics we have to play in order 
to make this stuff work in our minds. Not too long after the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil War and all of that, you had the convict lease system began, began, began developing around 1883 or so, probably a little bit before that, but officially, I guess, 1883. There is a YouTube video called Slavery by Another Name. Everyone should watch that. It talks about peonage, which a lot of times, even in classes that I've given, that other, I've watched other folks give, we never really talk about this for whatever reason. It's one of those thousands upon thousands of facts about our history that's really gotten swept out of the way. But essentially what the peonage was was a building off of the 13th Amendment, which came to be de facto slavery, to the point that if you were standing on the street loitering, quote unquote, what they still get us with today, if you're walking down the street and you don't have anything to signify that you're going to a job or returning from a job, you could be arrested. And once arrested, you were rented out to, to local uh, landowners to be work on their land or work in their shops or wherever. These are facts. Watch the video, Slavery by Another Name. Or look up peonage, P-O-P-E-O-N-A-G-E. This is the beginning of that, of what your boy that a lot of us are going to fool around and vote for. Joe Biden built off of back in the early 90s with Bill Clinton when they passed this, this uh, crime act, an act, a law that he still boasts about and still refuses to say, oh, yeah, it's probably a mistake, whether he's lying or not. Still won't say it. Put 100,000 more cops on the street, built several more thousand uh, 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 prisons. This is the beginnings of it, the peonage, the 13th Amendment. They left a loophole. And when you leave loopholes for corrupt men, they're going to work with it. We've seen that throughout the history of this country. All of this was followed by things like the, the, the Black, Black Code, uh, Jim Crow, um, Plessy versus Ferguson, um, on into a more modern era with Planned Parenthood, you know, the, the, the whole idea of eugenics and, and controlling not the population, but our population. And I'm going to jump forward a little bit because I really liked it when I heard this. I, I love it when I find out things that people have said that they're still a part of the stage. They're still a part of what's going on. They're, they've done their notable types of things in a time that hey, some of us can actually remember. Brother, we're not going to be able to address. You are dropping so much knowledge. I got a tablet. How am I going to address anything that I can't keep up with you? You got, you, you got to make us a point and let us drop, share with you because you, you well, touched on some key points. And I'm sorry absolutely. for interrupting. Please pardon the body. But you touched on some key points, and I don't want to forget them. So, I mean, right. um, please, don't, don't, don't forget your thoughts. But uh, I don't want you to get too far off some of the points you touched on in the beginning. Right, and I'm not, and, and I appreciate that. But I'm laying some groundwork so that we can see a continuity, so that we can see how all of this is interrelated, how none of it ever changed, and that all they've done is reform. We talk about reforming the police. We talk about a police reform. We talk about, you know, uh, a political reform, 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 reform. We don't even understand what the word reform means. I give you a piece of Play-Doh and you make it into an a, a egg 
and I take that Play-Doh and pass it to another person, and they shape that Play-Doh into a person, a little stick figure. The Play-Doh has been reformed, but it's still Play-Doh. So when you reform the police, you reform the system, all you're doing is changing the way it looks. You're not changing what it is. It was a system of economic exploitation then, and it's a system of economic exploitation now, and addressing the things that are there to make us dance. Because they kill a man in one city, we go and get hyped over there. They kill a man in another city, we go and get hyped over there. We're constantly running back trying to put out these fires as opposed to addressing the issue, which is racism, white supremacy, but not racism, white supremacy, our refusal to accept that racism, white supremacy is what it is. That's the issue. We keep coming back. We keep coming back and defending things that don't need to be defended. And that's my point. When they tell us, right in our face, when we have a protest and people, black people, white people, all these people are marching and rallying, not the looters, not the rioters, the peaceful protesters. And these peaceful protesters are getting smashed in the face, being thrown to the ground. They're in your face telling you that what you're doing don't mean shit to us. Because while you're peacefully protesting, the fact that we're beating you up, guess what we're going to do? We're going to beat you up. So continuing to attempt to address these, these various symptoms as opposed to stepping back and saying, okay, what we've been doing ain't worth we got to do something different. We've got to do something prolonged. We've got to understand, really, what this issue is. We, ne- we rarely ever talk about the problem. And the problem is white folks ain't doing wrong. They're simply doing what white folks do. We have to understand Absolutely. and accept that and then begin to do what black folks are supposed to do. But first, but we have I, to acknowledge that's the issue. Go ahead, Rob. That's I think that's the question. I didn't want to go out of turn, but I, you made some great points, and I think that's the question. But I don't want to go out of turn. I think war is facilitated. Just let me close it off with this. Our issue, back in the day, back in Harry Tubman days, our change was physical. Y'all know that. Change in our arms. Yes. Change in our legs. They were very easy to see. Very hard to remove. Today, we're dealing with issues of the mental kind. Absolutely. The change that we deal with today, the change that we deal with today are more difficult to see, but much, much easier to remove because all it takes is choice. Absolutely. I I agree with that. Every time you say you call yourself an American, you're essentially giving a tacit okay to the system. You identify as American, you're letting them know it's okay because you're accepting it, and that's what they like. I, so the degree to which you participate in the system of exploitation is the degree to which you accept its exploitation of you. And I yield the rest right. of my time if there's any left. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let Charmy Yang jump in and um, and add to that discussion and go, go in further on that. Go ahead, Charmy. Uh, I, I think that that was very well pricked. I love the brother had some some facts. Uh, you know, he said so much that I want to address. So I'll just touch on a few things because the response will be just as long. And a lot of it I would agree with. The white supremacy I totally agree with. What I do think, though, isn't added in your fact, the brother, is not just white supremacy being the problem, but our reaction to it. 
you understand, you said something that white people are doing what white people do and black people need to do what black people do, but what is that? Chief Ward gave a class one time that I thought was excellent. He talked about the domestication of black people. And we all know what domestication is. I think a lot of us have pets or even have had pets uh, in our past. And we know that pets, a domesticated pet is totally dependent on its master. And I've seen some of the cruelest pet masters. I've seen people mistreat pets and you would wonder why this pet doesn't turn around and bite this man or this woman. Why this pet doesn't run for his life. You say the pet is crazy. But this is what we find black people suffering from. So it isn't just white supremacy. Like you said, white people are going to do what they do. Black people practice the supremacy. We're just passive aggressive with it. We'll see a crime and say black people don't do that. We think we're better than some things white people do. So we, pat, we, we really do have some supremacist tendencies and supremacist philosophies. You know, we just uh, uh, say, you know, nah, that, that ain't no black crowd. Black people don't get out like that. You understand? So there is this sense of supremacy or this sense of betterness than someone else. I think is, though, I think is uh, everything you said I would agree with, but adding in saying however and in conjunction with doing like our Jewish counterparts did. They suffered the tragedy. You know, it's not, you know, history bears witness to their tragedy, but they turned it into a triumph for themselves. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. The answer is a choke me on that one. For themselves. <laughs> yeah, you glad. <laughs> they turned it into something that they use as inspiration and motivation. They have, you know, there's this whole argument if they're the real Jewish people or not. I won't get into that, but I would say those people that are professing, Judaism. They even turned it into a political statement, which I disagree with, but it is a political statement of Zionism and got a homeland out of the whole deal by politicking and politricking. You know, and Jew Zionism, which is Jewish nationalism, actually manifested itself from a philosophy. So what I said that all I have to say is okay, four hundred and seventy five, five hundred years, we've gone through that tragedy. And it's not to be downplayed or belittled. It has affected us. But out of that, a new species has come from the enslaved African, from the Native American here that was brought in, from even this forced, uh, forced cohabitating and breeding by our oppressor, and some voluntary, some voluntarily, you know, whatever, created this new African. And that trauma of slavery and white supremacy and the constant trauma of what we face every day must be factored into what direction we're going in. So, yes, I will agree that white supremacy is the problem in conjunction with our reaction to what we should at some point of time be equipped to at least, if not deal with, at least to address realistically, not in just, oh, it's white supremacy, the white man, the white man, but okay, yo, we're like his shadow. Whether we want to admit it or not, this American Negro is the creation of some criminal, wicked, depraved white people. What we, all of us on this conversation today, so taking this into consideration, how do we move forward? How do we get that which out, is, out of us that is not productive? Take that which is in us, that which is an ingrained part of us as being a part of not America as so much the system, the way it's set up, but the way that the system was set up with our involvement. We still participated in wars. We still built this country voluntarily and voluntarily. We're still doing it. So what does that look like for us? And our problem is not making it productive and effective for us. I yield. Okay. Um, e, you want to you wanna 
come back with that? Something on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Before I get into to the to the how we uh how we deal with it, because it's not it's actually not that difficult. It's truly not. But to clarify, everything, be it your action or reaction, is based on white supremacy. That's what supremacy means. Supreme, absolute, the tip top. No thought that you have, no deed that you do has not been affected by racism, white supremacy. If someone black or any color jumps up and does something reactionary that essentially damages what we're doing, that essentially uh, uh, goes against the intellectual directions that we lay out, those are the actions of someone operating off of a white supremacist philosophy. If Thomas Jefferson, racist that he was, could have a relationship with a black woman that he owned, and we have the nerve to sit up here and say they loved each other. There are historians that say they loved each other. That's impossible. It is impossible for the oppressor to love that which he oppresses because a part of love is cultivating self-love, and nobody that allows them to, themselves to be oppressed has a sense of self-love because a sense of self-love would not allow you to be oppressed without pushing back, without resisting, without throwing it off. So even in an interracial relationship, and I can say this because my mother and father, I'm the product of an interracial relationship between a, an African and a European. At whatever point in that relationship, let's do black man, white woman, because that was my situation. Not that she ever would, but if my mother ever decided that she wanted to have real drama and get this dude out of her face, oh, he raped me, and he's got a problem. And that's a fact. He's got a problem. Everywhere a white person goes, matter of fact, to, to put it some contextual, give it some background, these, a whole lot, these white folks, a lot of them are young, millennials, blah, blah, blah. Now, let's go back. 60s and 70s, white, hair, white, white folks, hippies, out there protesting, putting themselves online, Kent State, where they got shot up, da, 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 da. When they got tired of it, or there were some concessions made, and they were cool with what was going on, they cut their hair and got jobs. These young folks have the potential to do the exact same thing. When they've gotten some uh, uh, student debt relief, or they think there's been enough of an improvement to the, which really doesn't affect us much at all, or when they think that there's been significant or satisfactory uh, 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 reform, reformation made to whatever area, they'll cut their hair, go get a job. So we, the reason I went through all these things is because the first thing you do when you go to the doctor, one of the first things you do before you even see the doctor is fill out a form about your medical history. Why? Because though that doctor has gone to school to study the human body in general, knowing your specific history, what you've put into your body, things that have been done to your body, how your body reacts over a period of time is key and essential to diagnosing your situation right now. And that moves us into the how. Again, I said it's really simple. The answer is really just one word. Choose. As I said, when we identify something as simple as identifying what's 
What's the word? Okay. I'm, I'm a, the word. The, the word. You said the answer is simple to to our to our. I'm losing the conversation. Are we like? You're essentially saying that just white supremacy is. I don't think anybody really disagrees with that. That white supremacy well, is a problem. But what I'm hearing is a lot of factors that I don't think. I understand everything is a symptom. There's no getting away that white supremacy is our problem. The the, the nation was founded on that. But you know, however, with that being our problem, that's the founding of the nation. You're not going to get rid of that. That's a sentiment. That's an opinion. That's people's emotions and feelings. They, the European, this devil will never, ever get me to fight for equality because I don't think he's anything to be equal to. I don't care how many laws he implements or whatever. So that's, I think, our whole question. Where do we see ourselves? Isn't it? Go ahead. Jeremy, I'm sorry. If I can interject for two seconds, I I disagree with you a little bit. I don't think I don't give white supremacy that power over me. I'm a different kind of person, you know. I don't believe it, even though I know it impacts everything that I do. Um, I'm still not giving it the power, you know. So I have a hard time hearing and thinking, oh, this is it, that's it. No, I, I, I just don't believe it. Like, gravity affects me all the time, every day, but that's not an excuse for me not to get to the gym. Exactly. Like, the sun Good point. me every day, but that's not a point for me to stop doing anything. You know, I still have to push. I still have to do everything. So it, for me, white supremacy is not really part of my problem because I'm not fighting gravity, and I'm not fighting the sun. I'm not fighting things that are that are beyond my control. What I am going to do is make plans and preparations for it, and that's what I want to get into. How do I plan for the sun? So if it's 90 degrees, I'm not going out in my fur coat. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like how do we make plans for this? You know, if, if we're going to use their laws against them or whatever, that's fine. But to sit here and say that that's it, and I'm like, okay, What's the solution? You know, do I need sunscreen? You know, what what do I need to so I can battle this sun that is ever present in my world? So, and you know, and we cannot simplify oversimplify this. There is no simple answer. We are not the smartest people in the world um, on this phone line. So, if we don't have the answer. Guarantee the answer's hard. Okay, I, <laughs> you know, right I mean, on. I don't put nothing past my central. You know this. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. We are good at it. So if the answer isn't obvious, then that means it's not a simple solution at all. Mm-hmm. And and there's think tanks and time and energy like trying to get this in place. So I acknowledge white supremacy, but I don't acknowledge the power over me. And you know there are a lot of people like me. I agree. Man, listen, I think you use the best analogy, and I and I won't be long-winded. I love that gravity analogy. That's what it is. I mean, you put it in the perfect words. It exists, but it's like air. It's like taking a crap. You know, it's some. It's a everyday part of the the existence because it was here. It's in the fabric of America. It's in our everyday, how we exist, how we live. It's like I said, breathing. Our thing is to, it's our failure to really uh, 
acknowledge who we are as a people. That to me that is the is biggest the biggest problem. Racism, it, that's a symptom of racism, white supremacy. There's not an area in your life, name any area off the top, and that area is affected by control, not affected, controlled by racism, white supremacy. The only reason but, we do actually fight gravity every day when we stand up, when we get up, it's just that your muscles have grown to a point that you're no longer consciously aware of the struggle that goes on. Remember back to when you were a toddler and how you struggled to stand mm-hmm. up. We're still at that toddler age struggling to stand up. And as I'm saying, key part of getting beyond it is acknowledging it's there. You are absolutely powerless because at any point in time, imagine sisters and brothers back in slave days, a sister with her, watching with her children standing there. And her man standing there. The oppressor kicks in the door and says, hey, I'm going to have sex with your wife. You got a problem with that? What's he going to do? The oppressor has that ability. And don't get hung up on, 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 the, on the example. That's just an example. But at any point in time, they will take from you. They will take from you. If you don't pay your income tax at the end of the year, they will take from you when they decide to. So as much as we want That's to say I'm not, I'm not subjected to it, we are That's subjected that. to it. The price of your food is determined by racism, and white supremacy. The price of right. your gas is affected by racism, is determined by racism, white supremacy. We're, we're, we're saying that support. Right. Power less. You know that. that that's I don't. I can't. I can't hear anything. Doesn't exist. Doesn't make me powerless. I'm not saying when it you, doesn't make you powerless. I'm saying that white supremacy, supremacy means per, mm-hmm. supreme. There's no way you can say there's white supremacy, but it doesn't work over me. Because if it doesn't work on you over you, then it's not supreme. That's what supreme what, means. What, God is supreme makes, because God rules over everything. Racism, white what supremacy. What makes it white supremacy? I'm sorry, say again. You acknowledging what ma- it. <laughs> what, what, makes it, what makes it white supremacy? What makes what? I don't understand the question. Like, like anything, like you're, 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 you're a product of America, so, and more probably than anybody on his phone right now by being the product of a biracial relationship. <laughs> what makes it white supremacy and not the American way? At what point? You know what I'm saying? At what point? When you say you must recognize it, that it's a problem, what part of that? Is you and what part of that? I was like, but so are you a cultural net? Do we go back to Africa? Do we, you know what I'm saying? When you acknowledge what you're calling white supremacy, and some of what we call acknowledge white supremacy is actually Western culture that a lot of us as black nationalists have grown up and adapted to. So when you say white supremacy, like Sister Seven said, that's so blanketed. What is white supremacy? I know what I, I, I know what I think it is. I know what I think it is, but I'm curious to hear what you what you're calling white supremacy. I would like I would like everybody on the on the uh, line to give their definition of white supremacy because I've been sitting back listening, right. and it don't seem like everybody's looking at the same thing. I think everybody has different definitions of what white supremacy is. You know, I think I don't think we are. Point, I think we have to get on the on the same. We got to get on the same accord to identify this thing. Hugh P. Newton once said that the, that the uh, first step toward power is the ability to define. 
He said once you can define a thing, then you can take control of it. And I think our definition is wrong when it comes to the way we're looking at white supremacy. So I think everybody needs to identify or define it in their own way so that we all can understand who we're yes. discussing this conversation with. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the brother uh, 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 gave yeah. very good examples of racism, white supremacy. Western culture is racism, white supremacy. It's a racist, white supremacist culture. It seeks to uplift Europeans and place them, maintain them, keep them in a position of power over everybody else for the purpose of, of, of uh, white racial uh, uh, survival. American society was set up, as, and that's why I laid that out, it was set up to keep everybody who wasn't white in a, in, in a position of subjugation so that they can maintain white racial uh, uh, survival. And it still exists today. So everything that we do is, so, is, is part and parcel of a system put in place and still maintained to this day. The police do what they do in order to maintain white racial survival, everything that they do. It is a system that governs the world. That's so what this, it is. This brother Wall, let me jump in on that. So we so with that being said, and let's let uh Brother Sight come back on some stuff. With that being said, will we kinda like be saying that white that's white supremacy and then Western culture is the lifestyle that that is built around regardless of who is participating in that, because when you say culture, that's all of the people. So culture or lifestyle the Western culture would be the lifestyle of everybody that is engaged in white supremacy. Whether we're talking about the domesticated uh, Africans, or are we talking about the Europeans, or are we talking about the foreigners that come over and establish businesses under the guise or through the conduit of white supremacy? Would that be kind of like what we say when we say Western culture? Uh, actually, Yanga, uh, you jump in and, and, and elaborate a little bit on the Western, the difference, or, or if there is okay. a difference, to, or, is, or a concept on that. My, my adaptation of white supremacy is anything that's destructive to the advancement and empowerment of black people. When we say Western culture and certain things, I'm very careful because I'm a staunch black nationalist. I'm, I'm, I do have cultural traits. I'm ancestral, but I'm not a cultural nationalist is the difference. When we, when we talk about, uh, and I'm one that always talks about a colonized mindset or a neo-colonialist Negro. I'm one who always speaks against these people, but I'm very careful uh, in my speaking against these people that it's because it's like you said, to maintain the status quo. But when we say, you know, um, white, when we say white supremacy, we have to be, to me, specific. And we say Western culture, are we talking about the technological advancements? Are we talking about the, uh, uh, the inventions our ancestors did? Are we talking about the architectural achievements that our ancestors did over here? So, I mean, what is like white supremacy? So to me, in my conclusion, white supremacy is any attitude, whether it be or habit, whether it be diet or anything that is destructive to the advancement, empowerment of black people, not so much culture, not even so much capitalism and, and yeah, capitalism and imperialism to me is white supremacy. But, you know, even then I'm careful because we push and promote black businesses. So do we have an alternative to capitalism? when we're talking about developing black businesses in a capitalist country. You know, so when we say white supremacy, 
is this more fear tech? The white supremacists would love that we use this. Yeah, stay away from everything white. Enable yourself. Disable yourself. Push more fear. Give us the power. You still got to spend with us. You're still going to pay taxes. You're still. So how do we empower ourselves in this situation? He's not supreme anywhere, but in his mind. And I agree with what you're saying. White supremacy is a problem in the sense of, and like I said, I'm not going to be redundant, that when we do things that they have taught us to be destructive to ourselves, but I don't necessarily say in economic philosophies, nor in cultural philosophies or ideologies. I think America's unique. Yeah. Sister Seven, what is your definition of uh, white supremacy? What is your idea of it? That is my that is my exact definition of white supremacy. I am a black nationalist, and that's the way I see it. That is every point that he just said is exactly how right. I see it. The intentional disrupt, disruption and holding back of black people. That's what I see it as. Now, this is my definition of white supremacy, and I can get a little long with it because I like to make sure. We understand where I'm going with it. Earlier, Brother E talked about uh, uh, Neely Fuller and uh, uh, Francis Chris Wilson's book. Another book I like to quote is Who Are We by Kirk Herod. And the reason I do that is because I know, and I know nobody on this line has this issue, but for the majority of with black people, they need to hear somebody white say it. And Kirk Herod said exactly the same thing that Neely Fuller and, uh, and uh, uh, Francis, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson said about the, the mentality, the attitude that white people had when they came out of Europe. When Brother E was explaining the difference between the condition that Europe was in and uh, uh, Africa was in at the time, uh, Africa was, I don't want to use the concept paradise and all these glorious ideals, but Africa essentially was on the equator, one of the hottest lands on the planet. Sun's shining directly on it. Uh, any type of fruit and vegetation that you can think of growing so you had all your basic vitamins and minerals that was necessary for the proper development of a human being. These things was all necessary. Matter of fact, the, the first, uh, the first uh, uh, hominid line came out of Africa, our bloodline period, and the first Homo sapien came out of Africa simply because Africa essentially had the, 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 the essential vitamins and minerals necessary for the full development of a full brain and a full neocortex. Europe didn't. Europe got trapped in the Ice Age where, where essentially you had a people that had kind of devolved into a beast-like state where they had to, where they had to fight nature. They had to fight the animals, because the animals were trying to eat too. It's cold. There's nothing green growing when it's freezing cold and snow is all over the place. Uh, they have to fight each other. Hell, if I can't find an animal to eat, I'll hit you upside the head and eat you. So this is essentially what you had uh, in that environment uh, uh, under that ice age in Europe. So when those ice when those ice glaciers melted and this thing came out of Europe, the mentality was completely different. The mentality was that if you ever studied economics, you understand that in economics you have a, a, a concept of lack and a concept of, of abundance. They came out of Europe with, a, with the ideal of the mentality of lack. There's not enough. And then when they looked at all the other lands on the earth, their mentality was uh, these people don't know what they got. At any time an ice age can come and take this. We need to take this. We need to uh, 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 colonize this. We need to control this. And, and the thrill of actually being in that type of situation, again, is what developed a certain paradigm, a psychological paradigm, which eventually evolved into a political system. 
this is what we're, what people on the line right now is calling white supremacy. It's a political system, an ideology, an actual ideal. White people actually sat down and essentially said that there, and we know better now, but they essentially said that, that uh, there was five basic races of people on the planet. Well, say again, I didn't hear you. No, go ahead. My apologies, bro. Oh, Go ahead. oh, my bad. Okay, all right. And white people essentially say that there are five races of people on the planet, they, and they say that these people can be labeled by color, and the color was white, black, red, yellow, and brown. And they said that the darkest colors are the most inferior, and the lightest colors are the most superior, and that the lightest colors, since they are the most superior, had the responsibility to bring up and, and civilize the darker colors. The, be- the, the quote-unquote beast-like men. So this created the whole concept of, uh, uh, of, the, of the white man's burden, that the white man being the most evolved thing on the planet had to civilize other people, and this justified the colonizing of people's lands and the enslavement of people because we're only doing it in order to save their souls because the black man's skin is as dark as his soul is as dark as his skin. This was the ideals that came from white supremacy. But white supremacy is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's none of that. The, the people that we call the white supremacists marching with skinheads and, and picking in and out, that's not a white supremacist. He doesn't have any real power because white supremacy is racism plus power. White supremacy is to judge a people based on the color of their skin and the history of their culture and have the power to oppress them politically, economically, uh, socially, uh, uh, and every other E on the planet. That's what that's what true white supremacy is. That's what that truly is. And that system was placed in, in uh that system was developed, created, and then propagated around the world. Now what you have is you have the uh, and Martin Luther King said this one time, and I know I'm getting long winded, so I'm gonna shut up for y'all, but Martin Luther King said this one time, Martin Luther King Junior said this. He said that the poor white man that's in the streets hollering niggas should be marching with us because they are not benefiting from this system as much as the poor black man is benefiting from this system. They're not benefiting either. But the only thing that they have is the privilege of claiming to be white. But what happens with this white, this quote-unquote so-called poor trash, this, this poor white person who has been economically disenfranchised, what happens to him is he's been told, but you're white. Now propagate the emotional side of, of white supremacy because a people got a people have to be inspired by by political ideology. A political ideology is too boring, only that can move based on it. So the rest of the people have to be moved on their feelings. So that's what we get what we think about when we think of white supremacy, that feeling part of it. But that's not white supremacy. That's no real true power at all. Somebody holler nigger. I hate niggers. Go back there. That's not. There's no real power in that. But white supremacy is when you stand in the courtroom and look at the judge and look at the power that comes from that, or the power in the penal system, or the power that's moving in the political system. Hugh P. Newton once said that it's absurd for any black person in this in this society to stand up and say they have political power, because political power has to be bagged by one of three powers, and that's feudal power, uh, uh, feudal power, military power, economic power. And, and I'm just to wrap up and give somebody a time to re- turn, uh, a chance to rebuttal this. I'll respond to this, but I got to say this, that when we talk about white supremacy as being the issue, and it is an overlying issue that is affect every aspect of, of our life in this society, but we got to ask ourselves why was, was, uh, 
white supremacy created? Why was it developed, this political ideology? And it was developed for power. That what drives the man. That's what drives our human beings. That what drives nations of people to to acquire power. And, and I said I'm going to shut up, but I'm not. I'm going to say this last part. In the uh, during the Cold War, Russia and America, they wasn't shooting each other, but they was almost at the brink of war. They never truly went there, but they was at the brink of war. What was the war about? What was the problem? Here was the problem. You had the two major superpowers on the planet, both bastions of white supremacy. Only difference is they had a different idea when it came to economics. One said, I am going to spread white supremacy around the globe, but I'm going to use communism to do it. The other one said, I'm going to spread white supremacy across the globe, but I'm going to use capitalism to do it. And both said that, that I'm right. My way of expressing it and expounding white supremacy will be the way. And that's where the Cold War came in, the feud came in. And both both major superpowers, instead of fighting each other, because it was probably leveled a large portion of the planet for them to fight each other, they used people of color like pawns. When America went into Vietnam, Russia pushed the, uh, the Vietnamese like pawns to beat up on America. And when the Russia went into uh, Afghanistan, America pushed the Afghans, bin Laden, like pawns to beat up on Russia. This is how they fought each other, because white supremacy fighting white supremacy would be like two elephants trampling in the grass. So this is what this is what white supremacy. White supremacy ain't about a feeling. It ain't about an, an emotional state. And we can defeat it. We can beat it, because the only way you can defeat a system is with a system. We can't defeat it by playing like it's not there. Can't defeat it like that. If you have a ball on your behind and you say, you know what, I'm not gonna give it power over me. I'm. It's not there. It is there. You have to deal with it. It is. I promise it's there. I did 17 years in prison. Hated every minute of it. And did not want to give you people my power, and then I, and then like probably a third way through the sentence, change of thinking because I never, I never accepted the, the name offender, or convict, or none of that. But I had a a, a a convict, old school guy. He loved prison, brainwashed Negro. He loved prison. Negro wasn't nothing in the world. He was he was famous in prison, so he loved it. Didn't want to go home. You asked the dude where you from? He said he's from the penitentiary. That was his thoughts. Nigga was gone, but he tell me. He told me, and he made sense with this. He said, you're not an offender. I said, yeah, no, I'm not an offender. I'm not. A, I'm a human being. He said, but your, call, your ID card got a fender on it. That's what he told me. Your ID card got a fender. When they tell you to present that ID card, they count time you present it, and it says offender on it. He said, when you go to that commissary to use that ID card to buy things, it says offender. If you didn't feel like you was offender, you wouldn't use that card. I still didn't feel like I was an offender, but he made, he made a point, and the point that he made was, that even if even though I psychologically have freed myself from these labels, the fact is that my own body and my movements were still being controlled by these ideas, whether I liked it or not. And I'm gonna get out of the way. I talk too long. I, I apologize. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I thought it was beautiful. May, may, may I address a couple things? A couple things I, I had a little disagreement with there, but I thought it was beautifully put. Uh, one of the first things that I disagree with, I think that you, it, it, it trivialized our struggle over here, I think, a little bit when we talk about this white supremacy. One thing I had a question, you said that white supremacy is racism plus power and them controlling the system. Uh, you know, living in Atlanta, you'd have to be so direct because it's black face and white place. 
You know what I'm saying? If oh, that yeah. is, is the general statement of white supremacy on the surface, they wouldn't be able to relate to white supremacy. I've always run into that problem down there talking about white supremacy when the talk really had to be about neocolonialism. Now, here's the problem we're talking about the system and pointing out the system. Something you said about you at Russia and Cap and uh, America about them promoting pushing white supremacy. I'm going to disagree with Russia pushing and promoting a white supremacy because it was a their communism was really just that they were white people. It, they didn't have communism wasn't founded. Not that I'm a communist. I'm an you know if anything you'll probably be advocate socialism. I don't advocate because white people do run it. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Their communism is a class struggle. They were dealing with the workers and the czars, the proletarian or the lumpen proletarian, and the ruling class, and like you said, the whole feudal system. They want to get rid of that. All powers to the people. America, capitalism, is founded on white supremacy because capitalism is about the exploitation of human beings through genocide and enslavement of free free Africans. So there's no capitalism for the black man is it's his, his or her kryptonite. It was built off that system is founded off the blood and exploitation of people. And when they push it throughout the world, it's the same thing. There's, so that whole system is evil. What I would say about um, this is how the communists could come over to us and get some of our best minds because we really didn't see the race issue in it because Lenin didn't deal Marx and, and Engels them when they were coming up with this manifesto, they weren't really dealing with a minority issue. You did where I'm coming from. So I said all that to say that when we're addressing um, white supremacy, I don't think that it just could be that, that blanketed because it seems like what what I'm hearing is the salvation is going back. Is it Afrocentricitism? What thinking will we go to? If you're calling that white supremacy, you know what I'm saying? And this is all I know. Then there's no way for me to escape neocolonialism or thinking like uh, uh, a Negro that his, uh, always will think that the white man is superior. How do you escape it when it is your very foundation and makeup? No. You 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 escape it. You escape it the way Huey told us to escape it. And mm-hmm. Huey, when 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 he said this, and, and this was profound to me when I read this, when he said that the first step toward power is the toward power is the ability to define phenomenon. We start defining because we we all say the one matter of fact the first the first point on the platform is we want to be free. That's the first step right on. on the platform. Right on. We all we want to be free, and so we have to define what freedom is. Where does freedom come from? In the first place, you have to be free is in your mind. You have to take that. And that's one, one point that I 100% agree with Sister Severin on when she said, when she talked about the mind state. You have to actually start defining phenomenon. Like Huey said, Huey said you have to define phenomenon. And once you can define phenomenon, then you can cause the phenomenon to act in a desired manner. He was actually quoting uh, uh, Frederick Nietzsche when he said it, but he, but he explained it and broke this concept down. And I was like, oh, that's powerful. That's powerful because everything in our reality starts from the way we view society, view everything around us. When uh, 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 the people in the Middle East was flying planes in the uh, in the in the buildings, I'm not uh, 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 propagating that. I'm not. I'm just using it as a point. First thing they said was these are cowards. These are terrorists. And so people start using this these terms 
without an understanding of what those terms were. I was in prison at the time that this happened. I used to ask, bro, when I hear him say it, I tell him, define terrorism for me. What is a terrorist? And what is the point of terrorism? And then I would, I would give a lesson on political concepts. With white supremacy is one of those political uh, definitions. I would give a lesson on political concepts. Terrorism is a political concept. That's what it is. It's a political strategy, whether we agree with the, with the ideal of terrorism or not. And that's where I'm going with white supremacy. The way that you, the way that you combat it, the way that you combat white supremacy is not necessarily Afrocentrism, which I believe that that, that, that that way of thinking does have its point, that black nationalism does have its point. But the way that you combat it is that you come up with, you, you develop an ideology that, that raises your, your conscious level and that has the ability to raise the conscious level of the people. That's, what, that's how you combat it, because this thing, this fight, or this battle is, is, is one dealing with a system. That's what we're dealing with. But More than the behavior. Not we have that. But Seven, you, I'm sorry. I didn't want to go before Seven. I, I really think we have that. But Seven, may I go after you? Yeah. Yeah. I, that, mine is really brief. Um, we've studied revolution, um, Che down in Mexico, um, Ashley Castro. We, we've had, we've studied a lot of different models, but we have to remember that I don't think there has been a population that has had mm-hmm. the savagery of chattel slavery and then turn around and try to coexist with this same population. There's been times in the past where this population has left. Population go leave, you can go somewhere, Moses, take your people, do whatever you want to do with them, whatever. But there hasn't been a time where we've had um, former slaves and former slave owners trying to coexist in the same understanding. And because of that, that makes this unique, and it makes me have to question if that model is going to be able to understand and comprehend um, truly the, the struggle that's going on on both sides. Because on one hand, I just was looking at you as three-fifths of a person, okay, with no rights. Now you wake up one day, you have Juneteenth, which is coming around the corner, and then now you want to have all of these rights. And so how do you prepare someone to to take your cat and dog, this domesticated animal, and make them a full person? They weren't prepared. We weren't prepared. And so now I think we're still seeing those struggles because we haven't fully freed both of the minds and the mindsets and we're still adding more trauma and more damage on top of that. So when it comes to understanding um, other revolutions that have come in place and come prior to, I think we won't be able to come close to one that can really identify how in the world you're going to coexist with someone you just saw as an animal. Exactly. So without that, I don't. I, I think the other model, other models are. Um, they fall very short. You, the the brothers said something I thought was that we have the ideology. It's called black nationalism. The bottom line. We have point number one, like the brother so eloquently put, and I love point number one. We want freedom. I think that, that that's clear. They say, Brother Yango, what is freedom? Freedom is we want to end to the intentional, deliberate hindrance an obstruction of the natural evolution to the black man here in America. We want you to stop fucking with, oh, excuse my language, family, so I forget we're on the radio. 
We want you to stop intentionally <laughs> bothering us. Allow us to evolve in this unnatural habitat that you have created for us. Allow us to figure this mess out and to begin to evolve, but they have us fighting this battle. We see models of nationalism. I come from cities where nationalism is apparent. I think most of you do in big cities. Don't they have a Chinatown, a little Italy, a little Mexico? But what do they call where you and I live, the ghetto, the hood? Why mm-hmm. can't be a little Africa or something, a little Zimbabwe or something like that? You know, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> real talk, so nationalism is in effect every day. It's just our inability to grasp that we have a right to freedom and what freedom looks like. We buy into the political philosophies and ideology and we talk about materialism, we'll talk about communism, capitalism, we'll talk about all of this, trying to because see what ends up happening at the end of the day, nobody likes to be the nigga. The nigga's at the bottom of the totem. And and I don't feel bad about it because I learned in my travels, I wish I could say around the world, but at least nationally, I found out that every ethnicity has a nigga. The Latino people, the Mexican. Don't call a Latin person a Mexican outside of Mexico and maybe Texas where you guys are at. If he's, if he's Puerto Rican or something, I also have a don't call him Mexican. I think in the outer world, it's the Palestinian. And amongst the people of color, it's the Negro and the Nigerian. You know what I'm saying? And we're fighting neck and neck. So um, nobody wants to be us. So to really apply the real issues that face us, it's hard because then you have to say that you're a mutt. You have to say that you're birthed out of the worst conditions in human history and that you don't know who you are and where you come from and that a lot of what you're relying on comes from other people's studies. And we're so frightened of this white man that we've become scared to use mother wit, common sense. The very thing that has kept us alive and going this far, now we've gotten this white man has done a miraculous job by opening the floodgates of information because we don't know how to take it. You know what I'm saying? And we don't, and I think that we see ourselves in these roles, you know, for, and this is no knock, I'm a Muslim, but for the Moors, the Nation of Islam, our salvation always lies in anything but a real black nationalist revolutionary struggle. Even my brother Huey bit into the bug and became a, a marching Leninist. Started out very black nationalist. Police brutality, survival program for the black hood, and got seduced. Because it was romantic. It's easier than fighting just a black struggle. Black nationalism simply says, despite your religion, your economic philosophy right now, we will discuss that, brother, so still later, despite all of that, it is a fight for our continuity and our survival. That's black nationalism. You can't escape that you have been birthed in the worst and the ugliest conditions, and you've been robbed of so many things, and it's been stated so many times and way more eloquently than I could ever put it. You know what's been taken from you. Now it's from all of that, pull from this, begin to, and that's why I take on, for I know what the definition say, <clears throat> excuse me, says, um, you know, I don't know what's the word when it is, I don't want to say legally, but like the definition of white supremacy. But I think this is why I love being a self-determinist, because one of the things of a self-determinist is we, we, we give ourselves permission to defy our destiny and to defy ourselves. I don't say change the whole meaning of a word so it just becomes something totally abstract, but add something to that word so it means something to you. You know, when we say white supremacy, I am so reminded that I am 
and I hate to say this, a product of this, this, the, the crimes of this country. And a lot of my ancestors, whether willingly or unwillingly, a lot of intellectual properties and just things have went into the making of this. So I, I want to know what white supremacy is. And though I don't knock Afrocentricity, nor cultural nationalism, it just isn't for me. I don't want to go to an age that is so golden that I forget the real struggles and uh, tragedies my ancestors went through and also the great achievements and accomplishments. So I'm going to end it there because I can get along with it also. So I'm going to end it there. Okay, let's let Chief of Staff speak real quick. Y'all ain't heard me. Y'all ain't heard me at all. For the war, yes, I am on the phone a lot. I forgot who you were. All right. I know. So let me let me let me just kind of add to this because I'm not I'm not going to counter anything anybody else has said. But one point I want to do as brother war, I got to get into war. So in stating that, when I think of white supremacy, I think first of the word supreme. I think first of the fact that to me what it means is developing a way of life that allows me and everything around me dealing with warfare, my entire terrain to benefit me first and foremost and to subjugate everyone else to that same opinion that I and I alone as a race of people have the utmost right to rule everybody else. And and when I do that at the same time as I have evolved, this is speaking from that position of supreme, as I have evolved, I come to accept Everybody else's position to a certain degree, as long as I am first and foremost, and I will allow them to exercise or practice their way of life as long as ultimately I am the, the primary um, reason or the primary beneficiary or benefactor of whatever it is they do. So in saying that, it's not to me just simply white and black, but it would be European versus all other all other cultures at the at the root. Now it can be whatever it want to be on the surface, but at the root, which is you know basically where everything receives its nourishment, that's uh, that foundation, so to speak. As long as that foundation of supremacy of white supremacy remains intact, you can grow whatever you want to do. And let's take this and use an example of real estate. I own land. If I own this piece of land, I can rent it out to whoever. But you are going to be subjugated to my rules, my regulations, and you're going to pay me every month. Build whatever you want to build. At any given time, though, if you slip up too much, I'm going to yank you off that land. I'm going to yank your whatever you built on top of my foundation. Because I own that land, I have the right to crumble it, destroy it, or whatever, kick you off the land and, and keep going. So from a psychological standpoint, social, economic, political, to me when I think white supremacy, I think of a people, a class, a group of people, a race of people that basically wants to create or does whatever they can to create an environment that supports them being first and foremost. But within that, there are also layers because that doesn't mean that every single white person is going to be at the top. But what that means is that within the top structure of this, of this supreme game is going to be that white, that white figure. 
And that is that white male basically has to be at the top of everything no matter what. I may have other people along the way, but all of it, in fact, goes back to the foundation of basically saying that I am the one, the ultimate, ultimately I'm the one who holds the key to pushing that button. So that's my definition of white supremacy. Now, let me break down one thing I want to get into in regards to that, and then I turn the mic back over to y'all. As it involves, I think, part of our dilemma as a mass of people is that we have not accepted either the conditions of white supremacy or the conditions of it, it's both sides. We haven't either accepted. We, a lot of, most of us are not. It's a dynamic of, of a combination of it. We haven't accepted the conditions or the product of white supremacy, nor have we accepted the product of being domesticated as a result of white supremacy. So with that being said, we have not realized or, or, or recognized that an act of war was declared on us. And since we haven't as a collective declared ourselves to be at, at war, we don't operate as if we're at war. We operate as if we may be having skirmishes or battles, which, which from that standpoint is why when there is minor justice or minor victories from the standpoint of just say a cop does something wrong, a cop gets killed, thrown in jail, that's a tit for tat. Well, in the position of white supremacy, we can't feel like a tit for tat is a, a justified victory to eliminate white supremacy. Going back to some of the things I say all the time, to outpace the pace of oppression means you have to be doing way better than tit for tat. In a society, especially here in the United States, to where our numbers as African people do not exceed that, and our position of, of resources does not exceed that of the, of the elite, of the white elite. So we cannot do tit for tat. So we have to think in a different perspective. So when you have declared yourself to be in a war situation, then what you do is you do an assessment of your numbers. You also do an assessment of your enemy's numbers. You do assessment. Going back to our, our, our manual, we have a, a something called the salute, size, activity, location, unit, time, and equipment. Basically what it is is defining what you are up against, whether it be internal or external. So we are defined, we need to define what we're up against as a people. And unfortunately, this is Brother War talking, so I can't give you a simplistic answer. So we have to define what we're up against internally and externally. We have to work our way to a position of being able to win this war, but we have to do it in, in such a manner to where we recognize that we can't go tip for tat. That in winning a war, first is declaring and recognizing that you are at war. And once you declare and recognize you're at war, then you accept the fact that in, in war, there can be only, there can be a, there's going to have to be a winner and there have to be a loser, period. Going back to something he touched on at the very beginning, dealing with reform. If you are at war, there's no point, there's no, there's no way to have a definition of reformity. At war, there's a winner and a loser. And again, dealing with a supremacist situ situation, when you give a people certain victories, if so, they can basically, so you can buy yourself time and buy yourself a position of coming back and letting them have that battle and coming back and maintaining and getting back on course of winning the overall war. So the point being, once 
the capital when you when certain moves are making, the capitalist system starts feeling the bite of us rising up, making a stance. Of course, they're gonna give you what you, they're gonna give you these things. They're gonna give you this. They're gonna give you that. And then at that point, we feel like we won victories, and we feel like, hey, okay, so now we can start retracting and pulling back because we've made headway. That is the, the worst mistake you can make in warfare. That's basically. To give an example of that, and I'm going to try to make it uh, brief after this, if I am engaged in direct, in direct conflict with the enemy where we're shooting, we, we're standing toe-to-toe shooting on the battlefield, and all of a sudden that enemy starts running, I disengage, and I walk away. Well, what I've done at that point is, yes, I won that battle, but I let that enemy run off. I let that enemy go back and lick its wounds. I let the enemy go back and re-strategize how they want to fight the next battle. And then I pull back, and I feel good about myself. I feel good about the victory, about the battle, but I did not finish the war. Therefore, another attack is inedible. And if I allowed my enemy to escape the situation, then I've given them the opportunity to continually rebuild and advance again on me. This time, more than likely, they're going to strike and try to catch me off guard. Mind you, if we're talking about a situation like we are here in the United States to where we are outnumbered and outgunned on that front, then obviously, as we deal with these protests and as we deal with these climates that are going on now, if we, as we pull back, then what happens is you basically allow things to go back the way they were. So first and foremost, we must recognize that we are at war and we must think like a people that are at war. A people that award accepts the fact that there is a winner and there is a loser. Now, all of the intricate aspects of, that, that go into that, to me, is topic for us to continue on shows after shows after shows. And the next thing, real quick, and then I'm going to be brief and I'm going to be done, is counter-warfare, which is the process of preventing or controlling the dynamic of what constitutes the declaration of war and the overt mass action that is practiced once the state warfare is sanctioned. The covert side of, of counter-warfare is to perpetually weaken your enemy so the formal act of power play can be minimized or not possible. This is what consistently happens to our people through actions by the CIA, FBI, police force, and all the other enforcers. They continually weaken us as a people continually weaken our movement and by, uh, so on and so forth. And not only just black people, but the people in general. When your oppressor has a, a way of oppressing you, what they basically do is make sure, going back to supremacy, what I think of that, is have an entire system built around keeping you down. No matter how minute it may exist in certain areas for one person versus the other, the point being, rain is coming down. Whether you indoors, under umbrella, or whatever, you are being saturated, your environment, with the reign of supremacy, white supremacy, and oppression. You may be inside a, a, a shelter at that point in time and may not feel the direct effects of it, you know, with a roof over your head, but that's, again, coming from a psychological standpoint. That rain saturated the ground. That rain uh, produced or, or nurtured the grass, the vegetation, everything around that so-called house that I, that I shelter myself from. When I step out of that house, I am now stepping on white supremacy. 
The fact that I have to pay utilities in that house, I am supporting white supremacy. So the fact that I just didn't feel a raindrop on my head doesn't mean that white supremacy is not winning and that I am not getting my, my behind torn in a battle. So psychologically, we have not accepted the fact, again, across the board that we are at war, nor do we recognize what it means to deal with counter-warfare or the, or, the, or the covert aspect of warfare, especially in the psychological realm. So then our people are, are perpetually put back to sleep because they are caught in a process that is causing them to advance, retreat, advance, retreat, advance, retreat. And if you are already outnumbered and outgunned and you continually advance, retreat, whether we, no matter what type of movement or action we're talking about, then we will continually, perpetually be in the same cycle we're in. Now, Stay in my piece. Who wants to jump in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let me. Um, I'll take two minutes of that. Okay. <laughs> I will just just two minutes. Um, I agree with you, Chief, and then I don't because I hear everything you say, and I think everything that you said is correct. I don't think that thinking is going to move us forward. And see, I, I mean, I have some real history buffs on the line. Y'all went back to the Ice Age. We went back to the Cold War. We we are doing all this historical information, and I get it, and it's true. And we have to understand kind of how we got here and the situations that brought us here to to get to this point. At the same time, no one except for us on this phone line is going to accept that they are oppressed. Then They're not accepting that. And because they're not accepting that, even though it may be true, because they're not accepting it, they're not going to fight that fight. No one wants to hear you'll never outwin white supremacy because at that point it's like, why try? Roll up this blunt, put on this video. I'm about to play this video game with my Air Jordans on, and I'm, I'm, I've zoned out. Because if I can't win, if you're telling me I can't win, I'm not going to fight. So but we're not saying advance with treat. I'm not I said if we advance with treat, we won't win. Incorrect. I, I'm, so we're not saying that saying? white supremacy is You're all powerful. words that no one's understanding. You're, no one's going to translate what you're saying. What you're saying is old. If you said that to anyone under the age of 39, they'd be like, oh, that's back in the day. What are you talking about? I got my new kicks on. That's back in the day. That don't relate to me. I got a job. Burger King pay me everything. Well, you know, so what I'm trying to say is that we so they burned it down. That's not that's not necessarily true though. That's, that, that's not necessarily true because I took uneducated dudes in their early twenties that has never even been introduced to political and revolutionary ideas and explained this just not in this language, explained it in the language that they understood, and it made all the sense in the world to them. I'm I'm using this language Did because do I think I'm dealing with seasoned revolutionaries on the line. They, it was but no, my thing is, did they, they do anything? The ideals. They may understand you heard, you why they still at their mama's house. <laughs> no, they wasn't in prison. They were in prison. Here's my thing. Did it make them do anything? And then I know it's no. 
How would you? Okay. How could you possibly say that if you wasn't there to see the classes that was taught and the responses and what what these brothers grew from and what they became, yeah. the type of people that they became on the okay. unit? Well, I could stand up asking. to an officer. I could send anything? it to up to an officer, and these brothers would jump and become a wall and a war uh, uh, spear with me against officers because of that. that it, and I think being inside. And I think being inside, there's more of a heightened awareness of war. I think there's more of a heightened awareness of a, us versus them. You yeah, it's a I'm different saying? culture. It's a very different culture. And, and, it, and it is, but the okay. truth is human beings are the same. Human beings are not yes, no, uh, no different than they were a thousand years ago. Human beings are the same. The cultures have just progressed. Human beings are yes, the sir. same whether you're in prison or whether you're in South Dallas. Whether you're in Atlanta or whether you're in New York, human beings are the same. So that situation may have, and, I, and I'm willing to accept this because I've tried to do this work here in the free world when I first started building with Brother Wall and Brother Edenham back in the day, and I've done this work in prison, and, and I saw way better effects in prison, not complete, because I, I think uh, Chairman Yanger have seen some of this in his lifetime. I think I heard him say it last week on, on uh, his podcast but yes, everybody sir. in prison is not conscious. Everybody in prison is not reading. Everybody in prison don't give it, don't care. You know what I'm saying? So it ain't like the TV makes you believe that you become that you go to prison and all of a sudden become conscious. There's a whole lot of super niggas in prison. You know, there's a whole lot of them. The, the super more popular. You know what I'm saying? It's a whole. It is more popular to be the super gang banger with, with the best fighting game in prison than it is to be the conscious man. But. When, when once certain ideas take root in a person's mind, that seed cannot be stopped from growing. And 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 those brothers was able to to to, to understand this concept. They were able to see it. I was able to explain it to them and deal with them in ways that they were able to see it, and it actually came to life. See, one thing we got to understand is this. And I'm gonna quote a few people. I'm gonna quote a few people. Asada Shakur said in her book when she uh when when she was broke out of prison and sent to Cuba and 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 uh, her family came to see her and she finally was able to embrace her family for the first time. She said, "I realized right then that the cowboys and the bandits do not run the world. One day we will be free." Uh, uh, Nelson Mandela said in his book Long Walk to Freedom. He said he said that people always ask me how did I survive 27 years of freedom? I mean, of prison. He said the first thing you have to do whenever you're dealing with an enemy is you have to identify what they mean to do to you. You have to identify that first. You have to look at it. You can't uh, run from it. You can't back away from it. You can't say, I'm refusing to see that this cocksucker wants to shoot me. You can't say that. You have to look at it and identify for what it is. Then you can come up with a strategy to deal with it. White supremacy is not all powerful. Matter of fact, it's not really, really powerful at all, not in the sense of an AK-47 bullet, because it's just an ideal. And ideals can be fought in this manner. We just saying that you have to identify it first, and then come up with the proper strategy of dismantling it. That's all. That's all. And 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 maybe, just maybe. And 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 I can't say that because I've I've read extensively, and many of you brothers and sisters have read extensively. And some of our forefathers have gave us the plan. Some of them have gave us. For some reason, people have have, have fell off the uh off the wagon when it came to those plans. Some of those plans were not completely developed. They was not even meant to be completely developed. They were just to be a stepping stone for us to build on. And that's where this thing comes from. That thing, that white supremacy thing is not all powerful. It's not it's not all powerful at all. It's a thought. 
and it could be dismantled without. I think my yeah. my 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 biggest issue with the whole white supremacy and as we have white supremacy and as we have this discussion is the definition we went through and really like you said, I think you said it was you, brother E, who said making it relatable to the people. Or it might have been brother Sight. I'm sorry. Um, said taking what we've learned and making it relatable to the people. I don't think we've done an adequate enough job of white supremacy. I've heard all our definitions. One of the things Will said, and, and like he said, and a lot of people think like the system, you know, we tied into the system. But why that is so confusing? Because they have done such a thorough job of integrating the system. You know what I'm saying? That it's still hard to see how this could be pushing and promoting white supremacy. If I pay my, we, you know, we still have to address the class issue. You know, I think the communists were on to some about the class issue. Their problem is they don't want to address the racial issue. They want to get over and say, you know, you know, it's a workers' issue. No, race plays a big part in capitalist America. It is what it was founded on. So when we don't uh, address the the race issue, Dad, I said I lost my thought. I said that to say. Mm. And I'm gonna have to yield, man, because he, I okay about white supremacy, about us being in the being in the system. So about the class issue. So you got some of us that uh, pay taxes, that you know have mortgages or whatever on their homes, and their children still benefit. They pay school taxes, but their children go to a public school, maybe probably a, a pretty good school that's in their neighborhood, in their economic bracket. Yada yada yada. So it's hard. how do you point out to this person that that's white supremacy? A lot of times in our revolution, what we have to be careful of is still defining what is the revolution? What is this change? Is this coming from, you know, what ideological base? Is this an Afrocentric base? Because at the end of the day, we can point out the problem. And then we say, well, what is the solution? And I say, well, we all move back to Africa. We all give up this and give up that. And we all eat this kind of way, or we all dress this kind of way, or we all wear, learn Swahili, or we all accept Islam or whatever. So we have to see what base any of these, why we're calling whatever we're calling white supremacy. You know, is, is it from a, um, is it from a communist base? You know, you find black communists that do this, the, the same thing that will point out a white supremacy, but try to point it out through the class struggle the economic struggle, and still everybody's not taking into consideration, I think, when they do that, that they're getting lost in my thought. Where do we see, how are we perceived in that? How does it affect, how does it affect us? I hope, I went around the bush, but I'm, I'm trying to get to, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, in our description of this white supremacy, we really begin to alienate and isolate us. You talk about psychological damage. I'm sitting there listening to it, and a lot of what we're saying and this and that, I look as a black nationalist, I say, man, that really is us. And there is no way about it. So the white supremacy and all we're saying is that we're saying there's no way of not being nothing. I, I mean, I, you know what I'm yeah, saying? No. If we're using all of this, this broad stroke for white supremacy, that's what all of us are birthed out of. Is it still white supremacy? So, so let That's me, why let me jump in on this. Let me say this, Ian, and I give it back to you. This is why I said 
when I define mine, and I understand, I get it that I may speak a little different language, but that's the reason why we're all here. I just want to give my piece, piece on that, and that, and it, there are some people that pick up on it, and that's why I like the way I, we do our shows because we want to make sure we hit every different thought process that people, our people may have. But going back to what I was stating, the point is that's why I talked about the found, laying the foundation because nothing matters as to what's built on top of the foundation that can change if the foundation itself is not strong and fortified. So the foundation, speaking from warfare again, the foundation is laid. Once my foundation is laid, whatever you build on top of that is on the foundation of white supremacy. So even taking this to the example that you're referring to, how, how do you get people to identify that? Most people don't pay attention to their foundation. They don't necessarily need to care about it because they have accepted the security of that foundation. So from that standpoint, to them, the foundation is stable. If it's stable, I'm going to build on top of it. It don't matter what it's stable with, but it's stable. It's like what he said about the Play-Doh in shaking form. The point is it's still made of Play-Doh. It's still made of Play-Doh. So that's why I, I want to make sure we get the fact that the foundation, if the foundation itself is white supremacy, no matter what you build on top of it, the foundation itself is what is supporting everything that is put in there. Again, what I said in terms of defeating the position is that we don't advance, retreat, advance, retreat, but we move forward. And we've had some people that uh, some of our, our, our elders say forward forever, backwards never. That's what they mean. They mean we continue the advancement. And when I say we make sure we outpace the pace of oppression, I'm saying we take the energy of these people that are here protesting, we bring them in the ranks, and we basically start having more active participants in our building of what we need to do to move forward. And I say regardless of what methodology, the point being, if we have more participants that are working toward revolution, that are working toward change, that are working toward self-sufficiency, then that is a move in a progressive forward direction. Now, we can, we can debate the efficiency all day long. That's irrelevant at this point. Get that, harness those energies, bring them into the ranks. There's something in here for everybody. And the point is, this is what, these are the times that we have to seize, is to bring people in and put them to work because we don't have enough dedicated people in the movement that stay in the movement and stay consistent. We have to increase our ranks. And then we can start working out all of these issues uh, along the way. But we have to increase the ranks. Now, I'm going to yield, and we've got 20 minutes. Brother E, go ahead. I, w- I want to add something. I know Brother E going to take it out. I'm going to be quick, Brother E. <laughs> I'm going to be quick. <laughs> Uh, Chairman Yanga said uh, uh, about these abstract ideas, and, and uh, matter of fact, so Seven and Chairman Yanga said, it, and it's been and it's hard for the average person to understand them. Well, see, that's the job of revolutionaries. We, our job is not to overthrow the system. It's not to combat the police officers. It's not to 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 be the the the, the, the toughest, hardest gun toters in the world. It's not that. That's not the job of revolutionaries. That may come with it at that time, but that's not the job of a revolutionary. The job of a revolutionary is 
to reinterpret these abstract ideals to the people in a way that they can understand it. Because our primary job is to raise the consciousness of the people, period, point blank. That's it. Every move that we make, every action that we take is for the raising of the consciousness of the people. That action could be the, the, a bold statement in history. It could be the best action to be taken. But if it did not raise the consciousness of the people, it was not revolutionary. So that's our job. So, and it might be a hard one, but that is the job that we signed up for, that we said that we were willing to do when we said, I am a revolutionary. That's, that's the job, to take these ideas and explain them in a way that it makes it make sense to the people and raise their, their, their consciousness level. Because the people are not reading these political concepts and these ideas. Many of these political concepts and ideas are boring as hell to the people. So that, that's the duty. And white supremacy is not unbeatable. It, it's, it's, that's why I like to go back to this. It's about power. It is simply about power. Brother Yanger said that uh, he's a self-determinist, meaning that he want to have power over his own life. The, the, the platform says, I want to be free. It means I want to have power over my own life. The Panthers in the season said, I'll power to the people. It means that the people should have power over the system that control their lives. When they say black power, it means that black people should control the, the, the institutions that have power in their community. So this whole thing is about even if you're a religious person, the first gift that God gave you was dominion over everything in the earth, in the land, and in the city. So it's about power. And white supremacy was the system that they developed in order to ensure that they had power. They, they, they're on the other side of the chessboard, and they're moving their pawns in a way to make us move our pawns in a way to make sure we don't have power. And, and Dr. John Henry Clark said that you have to understand and we'll make a great leap in consciousness when we realize that no people ever taught the people that they was oppressing how to take power from them. So this is all about power. We could throw white supremacists out the window. Let's use a different term. It's about power. So what we have to do is ask ourselves then what steps are we going to take in order to acquire power? And, and us acquiring power does not have to involve taking other people's power from them. And that's uh, uh, little Bobby Hutton. I remember he, he, he was explaining our power to the people in this sense. He said, we said our power to the people, we're saying our power to brown people, our power to black people, our power to yellow people, even our power to white people, when they stop using their power to take power from other colors of people. And that's our power to the people. Go ahead, buddy. So a couple of things. Um, the Richard Ingalls, who was a co-author of the Communist Manifesto, said essentially that some of the mathemat- fundamental mathematics that seemed very self-evident to an eight-year-old, a white kid, would not be able to be taught to black children. So the idea of racism, white supremacy, is pervasive in everything that they do. There's been no bigger heart amongst communists. They've used inroads in black organizations in this country and Africa and other places to attempt to advance their agenda, just like the Europeans here. In fact, Vladimir, um, yeah, Putin is a billionaire. He's a part of an oligarchy. Him and his homeboy millionaires running control Russia. So the application, though it may sound great in theory, the application has been the same that it has been for capitalism and every other system, if you compare the application, yes. the bossy ideals that they place out, but what they actually do, the application is the same globally. The only place that it doesn't exist is, what is that, uh, Antarctica, the South Pole, where there are no people, basically. But the reality of it is businesses, black businesses, um, or, 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 or for this example, we went recruiting today. 
one of the stops we made in order to go and be effective in recruiting and reaching out to our people for the idea of advancing, uh, uh, affecting the consciousness of the people, like the brother just said, the first stop we made this morning was in Walmart. So we bought some things made by white companies, sold by white companies, paid with white money. All of these things were birthed from this system of oppression. All of that money is going to go back into a system that works toward our oppression. So we're not at all. For 20 years we've been doing this, and not at all will be, and I'm not saying that to gloat. I'm saying to make a point. I'm not fixing to stay in a relationship with somebody for 20 years if I can get no point in us moving forward. That just don't make sense. So that's not at all what we're saying. What we're saying is that we've got to identify it, embrace it, and be okay with it so that we can begin to affect it in its multifaceted form. The businesses that are in Atlanta, black businesses in, 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 in Florida, in Chocolate City, uh, D.C., California, wherever they are, they exist only at the behest of the system. Why? Because they pay taxes to a system, because they get their, their, their licenses and certifications from the system. They only get the okay from the system when the system sees fit, proof of which is Reconstruction. We had hundreds of state senators, black folks, right after uh, the, the, the Civil War. Black folks were put into office in, in, as senators. Hiram, uh, uh, what is his name? Hiram Rebels and another, uh, Bruce K. Blank. These were black men and women that, black men that were voted into government office at federal levels. When white folks got tired of it and decided, all right, you niggas, no, 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 y'all getting a little too uppity, passing laws to protect yourself, bump that. They went in, tortured them, tortured them beat them, dragged them out, and that was it. So when racism, white supremacy, decided it had enough of the show, it flexed. And we exist in those areas only at its behest. Again, not saying we can't beat it, but we have to first accept that, yes, you have a driver's license, racism, white supremacy. You pay your taxes, racism, white supremacy. You buy juice at the store, whether it's black or white, racism, white supremacy. And if, if, if you look at, if you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to put this, put this, so try to show how deep inside our minds it is. If you ever studied something like Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, if you've ever studied uh, uh, any, any uh, Philippine language, any other language besides English, and really look at it, you'll start to see that there are ideas and, and, and values that exist in that culture, say, uh, uh, in China, that can't be directly translated into the English language, you know, the, the idea that something was lost in translation. So when you try to translate from, from, China, from Chinese, they're saying this certain thing. The closest we can get to it in English is whatever it is. The same thing is true mm-hmm. of African languages. To translate something from the Zulu, from the Yoruba, from the Ashanti, from whatever language, when you translate it directly into English, there's going to be a little bit of a loss as to what it's actually saying. And my point here is that we have this conversation. This is proof of racism, white supremacy. We have this conversation about African people, and we're African because our DNA never changed from the time they took us off the ship till, till this day. So we are still African. Black people, is, black is our nation. Yoruba is a nation. Zulu is a nation. But African is a race. That's who we are. And we can't describe, we can't discuss being free except in the language that the oppressor gave to us. So the idea of being free, what it means to be free at this point in time, we can only define racism, white supremacy, and white folk terms because none of us is fluent in any of these languages to have a discussion of what being free 
mm-hmm. means to African people only that we can discuss being free from the viewpoint of being a slave. And step one, and it's supposedly maybe she did, maybe she didn't. That, it's something said isn't that, that we freed. But she, she she freed thousands of people and could have freed thousands more if she could have convinced them if, that they were slaves. So that's the first step. We want to talk about the first step. Maybe that's the next show, Psych and, and, and War, is the actual steps in the process. But the first step yeah. is to say, yeah, it's everywhere. I can't even dream. I can't have a thought in my own head except in English. And it, damn it, English is an oppressive language. But it's language. yours, brother. It's brother, I'm sorry for interrupting because we, we got we to come back to another show. Here's why I disagree Absolutely. with the old premise. It's yours, brother. It is absolutely yours. White supremacy, when we, whether we agree with it or not, integrate it into this system to a degree and begin to benefit to a degree and had an opportunity to influence to a degree. There is no salvation in reformism. I am a separatist. I know being with this white man spells the end of black people. But when we begin to get some benefit, whether it's the school system or that we pay our taxes to, we begin to erode the whole concept and structure of what they founded their white supremacy on. Here's the problem I have with that, because I'm not an Afrocentricitist. No, I don't speak Yoruba. No, I don't speak Swahili or any of those other African na- languages because I'm, I'm new African. I'm, I'm an experience. I'm a whole new African. See, the black people in America, we have a problem with that. The Jamaicans did it. The Cubans did it. The Afro-Puerto Ricans did it. Everybody, you talk about talk, using oppressors' language. Look at the Latino people who speak Spanish from the conquistadors or conquistadors or whatever. So they use an oppressors' language. And still, you put a Mexican, a Puerto Rican, a, a Salvadorian in the same room with every other ethnicity, they'll come together based on the fact that they all speak an oppressive, their oppressors' language. It can Absolutely. be done. Like said, Finding, like and this said, is, like and, said, and let me say real quick. Have to have another class first, to put that in this is, yeah, let me say this. So I appreciate all your brothers' studies, and our way. forums like this are needed. We, I want That's our easy. listeners to know these are our discussions, and this is brought to you guys so you can go back and come back, and I hope to be invited back again. This has been wonderful. Absolutely. But in, 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 in my conclusion, because I know you guys have to close, that when we say that everything is still based on that white supremacist and everything we do is being a white supremacist system. And this is all, you know, this is you, your experience. This is your life that you now receive benefit from. You're saying that everything that your foundation is built on despair and hopelessness. Yes. There's some tragedies in your thing. I'm going to end it. I think it was seven to share with me. The houses in Washington, she said, the vines grow through the concrete in the houses. And they now what they do is manicure them and make them a part of the design. And she explained to me why. She said, because if they put weed kill in there and destroyed all those vines, it would leave holes in the concrete and the house would crumble. So some of the things that you're calling white supremacy, yes, they were founded on terrible things. There's no way around that. I'm not condoning it in any way. I am saying, is your experience 500, 600-year-old new African? You can't deny a whole history of our struggle here, the Ma'afra here, and then say that, you know, um, we must do away with all of those things that birth what we are. That is a part of our social, cultural, 
thing. Oh man, please invite me back another time. And I Absolutely. see you. Let's do it. I got time next week. What you doing? On the show. Oh, I think it's yeah. In fact, is it my time to do the show? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. War. Set it up. Okay. Let me let 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 me say this so we can start wrapping up here to the listening audience. The whole nature of this of of this conversation is to fuel the thought process of us identifying the fact that there is a lot that we need to address. What are the issues? We started off basically saying what are the issues and what we wanted to do was throw some energy, throw some, 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 some processes, some thoughts, some ideas out to our people in terms of how deep this can go. But at the same time, we don't, like Chumayanga is saying, we don't want to end on a, or how the people think that what we're saying is a despair situation. That is not at all how this should be interpreted. Otherwise, we would not continue moving in the direction we move. So we do believe that this war that we engage in is winnable. The position is, though, we want to make sure our people have food for thought that they're not getting elsewhere to be able to fill their bellies so that they can engage in this process of moving forward and harnessing this energy that's going on out there right now through the protests and, and take that energy and also jump in with us on this long-term work that needs to be done to advance our people. So we want to end this by saying if you are out there and you are not a part of any specific movement, join the People's Black Panther Party. Join any formation of the Panther Party from the standpoint that is, go- that is working toward progressing the people, working toward point number one on all Panthers' platform, freedom and the power to practice and operate and to determine the destiny of African people. From that process, that is the first step, and we can get into more debate, more discussion, more <clears throat> conversation from that. But we are working toward the process of determining our destiny. Within the, the three Ds and what we started the program off talking about is define, develop, and then defend. So we are dealing with the definition and the developing stages. And people, critical thinking teaches us to always move in an operational format, and this is what we're doing. All power to the people. Black power. Brother E, take us out. Central Police Department. And there's a real suspicious guy. Did you see what he was wearing? Dark hoodie. Found white Southerners lynched nearly 4,000 black men and women and children between 1877 and 1950. Amadou Diallo. Eric Garner. Anger here in New York City over police officers firing 50 rounds into a car in Queens. An unarmed Sean Bell was celebrating his national to Kentucky, where we're seeing photos of Breonna Taylor's apartment. Ahmed Arbery was shot dead. On the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, outrage and anger. An Ohio grand jury today declined to indict two white Cleveland police officers in the shooting death of 12-year-old Tamir Rice. Stay with me. This is Diamond Reynolds streaming live on Facebook from her cell phone just moments after her boyfriend, Philando Castile, was shot by police. 
We've all seen the pictures of Los Angeles police officers beating a man they had just pulled over. They're talking about the Tulsa Race Massacre. At least 300 innocent African Americans were senselessly killed. It was called the Red Summer of 1919. Named for the blood that ran through America's city during months of racial unrest. This is a warning. Having not received any type of reparations. If you do not understand white supremacy, you do not understand white supremacy. What it is and how it works, everything else that you understand will confuse you. And black people are the most confused people on the planet. You do not understand. Die. 